I want to welcome everybody this morning who received those boxes that we put out last week. Maybe you're visiting with us for the first time or you're watching online. I want you to know that we've been praying for you and we were so grateful that we were able to be in your neighborhood last week and be able to just kind of touch base with you. I'll tell you guys just one kind of interesting thing that happened. Um, one of our uh, families stopped at a house and knocked on the door and was putting the box on the, on the steps and an older lady in her 90s came out and she said, hold on just a minute, I'm coming, I can't hear very well and and she stepped out onto the porch and she began to ask uh, this family, you know, what, what's your names? What's your names? What, what, what is this? Is, are you looking for like donations? Like what, what's going on here? And she said, well, I go to another church in the area, but at my age, I've kind of figured I'm probably never going to get to go back. Can you imagine that? And she said, I want to know your names. Let me go get a pencil. And so here we are trying to social distance and all this stuff, you know, and she's like, here, write it on the box. And we got the sweetest little note sent to the church this week from that lady thanking that mom and her two daughters for stopping by and what a blessing that had been. You know, that's just good. We're just grateful that we can do that. And so if you received one of those boxes and you're here today, welcome. If you're watching online, welcome to that. Today, before we get started, I want to mention two things that are very important for the church today. Uh, we told you in our Thursday update that this was going to be a day where we kind of set aside some time to pray throughout the day. We asked you to do that, to pray for our country, hearkening back to something that we had done months ago, back in May, that was called Prayer on the Mountain. If you may, you may remember, have seen that. Uh, there was an old preacher, retired preacher in North Carolina who was trying to get uh, a couple thousand people to pray, and it turned into half a million, to pray for the nation to pray that revival would take place in our nation. And so we're asking you to do that today. And that kind of piggybacks on a day that happens every year around uh, the world, and it's called the Day of Praying for the Persecuted Church. And that takes place today. And I want you just to write this, this web address down. It's just persecution.com. And it will take you to the Voice of the Martyrs, and you can check out some resources there. But this year, we're praying for the church in the Central African Republic, because right now they have 30,000 displaced Christians. Christians who for years had lived in peace with Muslims in that country, but who have now been persecuted and driven from their homes. And so this is a day where we stop and remind ourselves that while we're here in freedom, being able to worship and and listen, we have some things that we're overcoming and figuring out along the way, aren't we, as, as we come to worship and, and try to figure all of those things out, but we're certainly not being persecuted. We're certainly not being told that we cannot gather. And so we're grateful for that, and it reminds us to pray for those who are persecuted. I want us to do that right now, if you don't mind. And I want you just to begin praying right now for the Central African Republic. Let's pray right now. Father, on this special day, we're reminded of the freedom that we have in our country to worship today, and we thank you for that. We realize it's a gift from you. And we pray for our brothers and sisters, not only around the world, but in particular this year in the Central African Republic. Father, we pray for Janelle, who was driven from her home with her children, and everything they had was lost. Father, we pray for her family as as they're trusting you even now in the midst of this persecution. And we thank you that the church is flourishing in the midst of this persecution. And Father, we pray that you would protect your people 
and we pray that you would keep them from harm, and we pray that you would vanquish those who would stand against your church, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would not allow evil to prevail. And we ask you, Father, to strengthen our hearts to worship you today, to strengthen the hearts and minds and souls of believers around the world who are facing this persecution. And Father, we thank you for the church universal today, and we lift up your work today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I hope you'll go and just watch that short little video about Janelle and her family today on persecution.com. I think it'll bless you to see how even in times of persecution, God is faithful. Even in times of persecution, God is doing things. Well, today we're looking at our second passage in our series that we call Time Change. And last week we read that passage, but we're going to dive into it this week, and it's Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Just kind of a Quick question, how many of you actually went and listened to the song, Turn, 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 after anybody? Nobody. You guys are a disappointment sometimes, I gotta be honest with you, you know? I've been stuck in that song for a little while this week, and uh, as I mentioned last week, Bob Dylan didn't write the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon did. Many of us are familiar with that psalm, or that song, rather, um, that the birds kind of made famous, turn, 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 to every season there. We, we, we turn in these seasons. Uh, just since we're kind of on a Bob Dylan kick over the last couple of weeks, and I promise I don't own any Bob Dylan music, but did you know that he is the second most covered artist of all time? That's just kind of a little worthless trivia for you this morning to get started. This might sound pessimistic to you as you read the book of Ecclesiastes, but you kind of may need to start at the end of the book to read back in the beginning and understand what Solomon, the preacher, is trying to teach us. Because basically what he says throughout the entire book is that if you try to find your meaning and your purpose in anything outside of God, it's vanity, it's emptiness. There's nothing to it. And so if you build your life, we just sang this song, isn't that good? I will build my life upon your love. It is my firm foundation. And if you build your life on anything besides that, what the book of Ecclesiastes actually tells us is that you're gonna be disappointed because it's vanity. You can build it on work, you can build it on family, you can build it in politics, you can build it in any of those kind of things, pleasure. You can build it in your estate as Solomon tried to do, and all of it is vanity. There's nothing to it. And as we look at this passage today, we're gonna see how seasons pass to season, and it can really leave you reeling, I think, as seasons pass quickly. I was thinking about my grandparents and some of the things that they saw in their lifetimes and how some things passed quickly and that they would be kind of shocked today if they saw certain things. My grandparents, for a season in their life, had matching square dancing outfits. Sounds appealing, doesn't it? Bow to your partner, do si do kind of that kind of thing. You, you know, how, kids, do y'all know what the floss is? Are there, are there any kids in here that know? Can you stand up and, could y'all stand up? If you know, stand up. Anybody? Give us the floss. There it is. My grandparents would look at that and think you'd lost your mind, you know? Isn't that funny how seasons pass? If you were a child of the 80s, the seasons passed overnight from glam rock where guys were stealing their wives' blouse and putting it on and putting makeup on and teasing their hair up. And all of a sudden, they were wearing flannel shirts and it was grungy and dark. It passes in an instant, doesn't it? And things that were so in step now seem out of step. And there, there are these things in our lives that happen. And I think Ecclesiastes 3 speaks to that for us, for us to understand that there are seasons of life that, that happen to us. And as we've talked about 
last week, it's important for us to be like the men of Issachar we saw in the book of Chronicles. If we understand the seasons in which we're living in, it helps us to live those seasons with wisdom. It helps us to live those seasons with understanding. And we can't do that if we don't understand that all wisdom comes from the Lord. And so Solomon's writing this, and I want us to read it. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this two ways. There's a really good way for us to look at it this morning. And then there's an important way for us to look at it. I want to start with the good way for us to look at it. So let's read Ecclesiastes 3. And we're going to read verses 1 through 8. And then we're going to come back to it and look at it in the important way and read it again. And then we'll finish it with the last few verses, uh, 9 through 15 there. So let's read this. There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant, a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down, a time to build. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. A time to search and a time to count as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent, a time to speak. A time of love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. If we understand this in the good way, if we read this in the good way that I think is good and proper for us to read it, we look at this through our human perspective and we start to understand the times in which we're living. And we talked a little bit about this last week. It's very interesting to me that Solomon starts with two things that are fixed in your life that you have zero control over. You have absolutely no control over these two things when he says there's a time to give birth and a time to to die. And the Bible is so clear about this for us that there's a time in, in, in history when God appointed for us to live. And I want to just say that to us because sometimes we can feel like we're out of step, that we're out of step with the times in which we're living, that we don't feel like we belong, that we feel like maybe there was an era gone by when, when things were easier for us to fit in and to understand. And yet the scripture's really adamant about this, that there was a specific time and place that God called for you and I to be born and this is the time for us to live. Now, no man chooses that time. We can look back fondly and, and wish that we lived in a gilded age or a time that was easier or a time that was simpler. But I, I would remind us that there's a purpose in what God does in causing us to be born. And we believe that God instigates that, that God is the initiator of that. We think sometimes that, that we have so much control over that, but really God is the initiator of all life. And if you read the book of Jeremiah, we understand that God forms us. He knew us before he formed us in our mother's womb, and he places us into the time and the seasons in which we're living for a purpose. Then he says there's a time for us to die. We're not meant to live forever. You can do as much as you want to to try to stay on this earth, and you can be one of those people. You can eat all of the right foods. You can exercise. You can go to the right doctors, all those kind of things. You're going to die. It's the way that it is. The scripture says it's appointed for a man once to die. And here's the second part of that that you need to hear. And after that, to face the judgment. You see, in our lives, we don't end our lives when we die. That would, that would be a, a neat little kind of thing just to put a period, dead. 
But the thing of it is, our lives actually begin anew after we die because once we die, we actually face the judgment. And this is the thing. And I, I never say these things. I hope you know me to know this. I, I try not to be a shock value. I'm trying not to scare you. I don't want to do that. But I want to tell you something that's real. Hell is a real place. It's a real place that you were never meant to be, but not even God in his mercy will save you at the judgment seat if you've not received Christ. You see, the way for us to uh, avoid that judgment of eternal separation and damnation in our lives is through the blood of Jesus Christ covering our lives. And after we die, the judgment comes, and there's only one thing that's going to matter, and it's whether or not our lives have been written in the Lamb's book of life. If your name is there, if your life is there because you have received Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, if you've been cleansed from your sins and received that forgiveness, there's eternity waiting for you in heaven with the Lord. I just did a funeral yesterday and I was thinking about that passage of scripture that is so familiar to us from John chapter 14. You remember what it says? Jesus looks at the disciples and says, I've got to leave. I'm out of here. I'm going away. And they say, whoa, whoa, where are you going? And he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And if I go to prepare a place, I'm coming again so that I can receive you, take you back with me so that you can be there. He's saying that when we're in Christ, that's the reality of our lives after we die. Not that we're in the ground. I always think about this. You know, when we place somebody in the ground, they're not really giving up anything that they lose because they don't need it anymore, right? If you don't need something anymore, it's no value to you. And that body that you put in the ground, you don't need anymore after you're dead because you're fit with a new body in eternity. But this is important for us to understand. If you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day where you really consider the love that God has given us and that he has sent Jesus Christ to die in our place so that we can have relationship with God the Father. And I'm so grateful, Kirk mentioned it a minute ago, that we were able to explain that over and over again yesterday. Pastor Dan did a really good job as we talked about that with all the families that came in and, and heard the gospel. They saw it actually displayed in a video, a picture, a mural that was drawn, that God has loved us with an everlasting love. Verse 2 tells us that's a reality that's coming. No man knows the day or the hour of his death. It also says in verse 2 that there's a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to take back in. And the scripture speaking here is talking about the timing of doing things in their proper season. You know, that, that matters a lot, don't you? Like the timing of things matters a lot. Think about it like this. One of my friends told me years ago, and he's married to this girl, so it all worked out. But he told me years ago that he really liked this lady and he thought he wanted to marry her. And so I kind of prompted him and said, well, have you told her you love her? No. Well, maybe you should kind of step out there a little bit and declare your intentions for her. Next time you see her, just tell her you love her. So he called me a couple days later and he's like, I hate you. I really hate you. I took your advice, and you know what she said? Thank you, and shut the door. And I was like, oh, man, don't worry about it. My wife did the same thing to me. It'll be just fine. It'll all work out in the end. You know what happens, though, is that when you're looking for somebody to tell you I love you, you don't hear thank you. 
That feels out of step and out of season and out of time. Well, maybe he was a little premature. I don't know. But it all worked out. They're married with kids. Things are good, right? But you, you understand that there's a season and a time to do things properly. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, my dad used to talk about that when you plant things, there were the things that the farmers used to say all the time in Virginia, that the planting season for the spring was when you sat in the ground and it wasn't cold on your bottom anymore. You know, when it was actually warm, that the ground was ready for you, that you could feel it, that that was the time to go out and till the garden and get it ready. And if you did it before then, it wasn't the proper time. And there's a time to plant, there's a time to uproot. You don't let just things grow forever, do you? They have to be harvested, they have to be taken in. And understanding the times in which we're living in requires us to understand when it's time to plant things in our lives, time to take them in. There's a part of every part of our life that we have to, to know the difference. When do we start something? When do we end something? And he says for us that there's a time for that. And then he talks about this public and private time for sadness and joy. Verse four and five and six, to weep, to laugh, to mourn, to dance, to throw stones and gather stones, to embrace, to avoid embracing to search and count as lost, to keep and throw away. You know, there's a private sadness that happens in our lives, isn't there? The loss of a loved one. The loss that we experience, and so many times we feel like that person was gone too soon. And there's this private heaviness that weighs on us. And, and if you look at it, it's, it's kind of interesting that it says there's this time that we weep. That's kind of that private time. And the time that we laugh, that's that private time. And if you live long enough through the cycles, you find yourself doing all of those. I always find that interesting when you go to funerals. We often find ourselves doing both in the same hour, don't we? There's a time that we're, we're weeping, missing what we've lost. And there's a time where we're laughing thinking about what that person did or, or how they influenced us and, and how, how they did something funny and, and, and we just remember that fondly and thank God for that. And then it talks about though that there's this public thing that happens as well where we mourn and we dance in joy. And those things are appropriate in their times too. We have to know when those things come to us, how we should handle them, when to embrace, when to avoid embracing. And then verse seven talks about these times where we tear things and we sew them back together and a time to be silent and a time to speak. And I, I often think about when we talk about tearing and sewing, how my grandmother used to say, a stitch in time saves, say it louder, nine. What does that mean? That doing something properly when you need to do it saves more work from having to be done later. Understanding our times. As parents, I often think about this. That there's a time where you need to step in and say something. Where you need to do it right then and there. Because if you do it, it could save nine stitches later, you know. Uh, I, I remember having those conversations with my kids like, you, you really need to stop this. This is a life thing for you that needs to stop now. Or you need to start this, right? And then to know when to be silent and when to speak. I remember years ago talking with 
one of our senior adult ladies, Miss Margaret Kimbrough. And Miss Margaret and I were talking about raising children. And she told me that the most difficult parenting she'd ever done was with adult children. Can I tell you that that was the most depressing thing I had heard in forever? <laughs> being in the throes of being a dad and wondering if you're doing the right thing. I, I looked at her and I said, you might as well just take an ice pick and stick it in my eye right now. I cannot believe you just told me that. Can it really be that bad? She goes, yes, because you don't know when to speak sometimes and when to be silent. How do we gain that? How do we understand that? Well, it comes from wisdom. Because you, you see, the Lord gives us those things to know the days and the times in which we're living in. Just like when we look at verse 8, a time for love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace. When, when we understand this, we understand that Christians are neither pacifists nor aggressors. There's a time for both of those things, aren't there? There's a time that is proper in its place to cry for peace. And there's a time that's proper in this place to say, take up arms and defend ourselves as a nation from threats that would come against us. And how do we know the difference to rightly choose the accurate uh, response to things that would be appropriate for the days in which we're living in? Well, you can't get this kind of wisdom that Solomon is talking about here to understand the days in which you're living if, if you're trying to get them anywhere except from the scripture. You can't get it from the news. You can't get it from commentators. You, you can't get it from pundits. You can't get it from even your elected officials. It only comes from understanding the scripture. When you hold up the scripture and you look at the world through that lens, it helps you to know the days in which we're living in. This is very important right now for us. There is no time like right now that requires decisive wisdom. And we could say that about next week. We could say it about next month. We could say it about next year. Because the things that happen are the things that we're sowing right now, and let's use the different word, not sowing, but sowing into the ground, we're also going to reap. We reap those things as a nation. We reap those things as a church. We reap those things as families. Those things that you're doing now will have lasting implications. So it's very important that you're living your life understanding the times in which you live. And the only way that happens is through divine guidance. And that's a good way to read this passage. But there's an important way to read this passage. I want you to read it again. And I want you to think about it as every one of these actions being actions or seasons of God's hand. Let's read it again. A time to give birth, a time to die. A time to plant, a time to uproot. A time to kill, or to heal, kill and heal. A time to tear down, a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. A time to search and a time to count as loss. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love. A time to hate. A time for war. And a time for peace. What if God wrote this for us? with something else in mind than just our own actions? What if it also points to God's redemptive work in the seasons of time that he has ordered? If that's true for us to understand this, then there are three big words that we need to understand. Sovereign, God is sovereign. 
that God is sovereign over everything, meaning that he rules and reigns over everything, that he puts everything in place, that nothing happens without his knowing it, that he allows these things to take place because he is sovereign over all. He is the sovereign creator, sustainer, the giver of life, the taker of life, all of those things. He is sovereign, able to do it. He has the power to do it. That would lead us to kind of that next word, that, that God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. There's nothing that he can't do. There's nothing that he can't bring. There's no season of our lives that he can't walk us into. There's no season of a nation that he can't walk a nation into. There's no season of a nation that he can't walk a nation out of. And then we would say that God is omniscient, meaning that he is all-knowing that he knows everything before we could ever think of it. And if God is sovereign and he's omnipotent and he is omniscient, he has the ability to rule and reign over everything and he does it at his pleasure, guess what? For his pleasure. Let's think about it again. In verse two, when it says that he gives birth and there's time to die, it changes things, doesn't it? Because we begin to understand those activities as being uniquely God, not only in our lives, but in the birth of other things. The birth of a church, for instance. When a church has these, un, uh, these remarkable times of growth, as it talks about these times of planting and uprooting, when the church is growing, that's, that's a divine providence of God. Not something of man. If we make it and we're able to kind of social media our way into growth, that, that's a fake thing. Only God can grow his church. Jesus said he would build the church. And there's a time in our lives when things are uprooted, that things naturally die, and God allows those things to happen. If you understand it, you begin to see these harvests that take place in the church. Sometimes God brings harvest of epic proportions as people are saved, and it's just a divine work of God, and we don't even know that it's happening. I've told you this before, but I think it bears repeating again. It's a great story that illustrates the point. In my first church, I remember preaching on tithing. If you've been here long enough, you know that we preach on that. We like that around here. We preach about it because we think that it's a, a great obedience tool for you to learn God's faithfulness to you. And it's in the scripture, so we go to it. I was doing that early in my ministry. And I was preaching. I mean, I was wearing them out about tithing, giving it to them, left, right, left, right, giving it to them. At the end of it, we gave the invitation and a lady came forward and said, I've got to be saved. And my first thought was, what sermon did you hear today? because I didn't even present the gospel. After the sermon, she comes forward, she gets saved in the invitation, and as we're talking to her after church, her husband comes up and says, I must be saved today. That, that's a God providence thing. Nobody walked up and, and shared the Romans road with them, although we believe in doing that, don't we? Uh, nobody gave them a track, although we believe in doing that. That was just a God-provident moment. God did something. He, he caused our paths to cross in that moment, and he was working outside of us. It was just a special drop of God's grace in their lives, and in my life too, I'll be honest with you, to know that God is working all the time. The Holy Spirit is working all the time to convict the hearts of men and women. And then we look down and we begin to see in, in verse uh, verse three, that there's this time to tear down and this time to build. And we've seen that, that God does that. God does that with nations. We see it all around our city right now. You see cranes over top of places that have just been raised. And now they're being built up again into something new. And God does that. 
In his own timing, God brings nations and corporations and cities and churches into prominence. And in his own time, he tears them down sometimes so that something else can be built. That's God's work in eternity. And then we see verse four, five, and six, and we don't just see it from our point of view about, man, we lost somebody, but we begin to hear the words of Jesus that say, blessed are you when you mourn. Mourn over what in the Beatitudes that he's talking about in Matthew 5? He's talking about our sin. That, that, that there's these times in our lives where we need to know the difference because God is working and he brings a heaviness to us. And I gotta be honest with you, that's one of the things that bothers me the most about the church in America today is we wanna be happy and we wanna be clappy. We don't wanna ever mourn. We don't wanna ever deal with our sin. And yet the Bible deals with it over and over again because we can't be in right relationship with the Lord if we don't understand our sin and the consequences of our sin and repent of those sins. That's even for believers, there's a time for that. Haven't you experienced that? Where God, it almost feels like God has, has oppressed you with the Holy Spirit. You're just under the weight of it because he's convicting you of sin. For a believer not to recognize that time that God is doing something and receive that is to miss that God is working in all seasons. And sometimes there is laughter and there is joy, but sometimes there's just a season of weeping and mourning because of our sin. And God brings us to that point. Knowing the difference is important. Sometimes, as verse 7 says, there's a time where God is silent. And there's a time in which he speaks. Are you comfortable when God is silent? It's hard, isn't it? I became a Christian believing that every moment of my life with Christ would probably be similar to what Moses experienced. Burning bush, throw staff down, pick it up. It'd be awesome. This will be cool. Anytime God wants me to do something, he'll just speak to me. And it just, just kind of, I mean, I just kind of assumed that that's how it worked. And that everything was leading towards this mountaintop experience with the Lord where he just received his grace and, and his mercy and, and understood his love all the time. And no one prepared me for those seasons of life where it's just quiet. And yet God is in the silence. Sometimes we think we've done something wrong when our prayers just seem to barely hit the ceiling and fall back down. They don't seem to be moving eternity. And God doesn't seem to be answering our prayers. And he doesn't seem to be moving in the way that we expect and see him to do that. And yet we're reminded that there are just seasons of life where God draws near to us. And I think God is always near, but there are seasons where it seems like he draws closer to us, doesn't it? It's a special season of life where he's speaking to us and he may be leading us down a specific path. And other times it just feels like he's quiet. I love it when he speaks, most of the time. Sometimes I don't like it because I don't want to do what he's saying or it feels uncomfortable or it feels like he's got his scalpel out and he's wearing out my heart, cutting it apart and saying, man, we've got to get rid of this. But I really don't like it when he's silent. And yet God is in the midst of both. God is speaking and acting and working all the time. And even when he's silent, in verse 8, we see 
that there's a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace. There's a commentator who I think very adeptly pointed out this week in my study of this passage that God uses very uncomfortable things where he tears nations apart for his purposes. We would say today that slavery is the, one of the worst human indignities that could happen to a people. And yet God, with his own people, allowed them to endure 400 years of slavery and hardship, hate from the Egyptians. So at the end of that 400 years, they could receive the love of the Egyptians dumping all of that gold, and they entered into poverty and left with wealth. And then God, after he had established the nation, sent them back into captivity. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Are you comfortable with God doing that to us? If it served God's purposes, are you comfortable to accept from the Lord's hand that he might do things that are hard for us to understand or that we wouldn't like or that, that we would feel are really hard and oppressive for us. Well, we need to be. Let's keep reading. Go back to verse nine with me. What does a worker gain from all of his struggles? I've seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. What's the task? It's the struggles. It's the work. Our, our, our occupation there. And he's made everything appropriate in its own time. Now, you read that, but I'm gonna ask you a question. Can you say it and believe it? Can you say with me this morning that everything that God brings is in its time appropriate for his purposes? Not if you don't believe he's sovereign. Not if you don't believe he's omnipotent. Not if you don't believe he's omniscient. You see, everything that we work in our lives to do and accomplish, we think that we have so much control over it, don't we? We think that, that we are really charting a course for our destiny and we're going to be able to do this and we're going to be able to do that. And the truth of it is, all these external forces in our lives come and batter us over here and then they push us along over here. And sometimes those seasons are really good and sometimes they're difficult. And what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying is that our response to that needs to be, yes, Lord, this season is appropriate. It's hard. It's difficult. I don't like it. I don't understand it, but it's appropriate. And, and that's been hard, right? I, I, that's been hard for us to imagine. Would it be appropriate for us this morning to say, Lord, COVID-19 is appropriate in its own time? Can you say that? Or is it just the biggest inconvenience of your life? Is it just the thing that's driving you crazy right now? I mean, it's driving me crazy, right? I mean, it has these moments and yet I read this and I realize that there are things that are going on that I can't see and I don't know because I'm not sovereign, I'm not omnipotent, I'm not omniscient. So God's doing something and he's not telling me and I don't know that he's telling you. Let's keep reading, we'll see why. He's also put eternity in their hearts but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. That means you. It means me. We can try. And we can try to make sense of it all. And, and we can try to, to look back on the seasons of our lives and make them make sense and interpret those things. And I've said this to you before, but we often feel like hindsight's twenty twenty. It's really not. 
because you don't know what God was doing. You get glimpses sometimes. You can make some conjectures about that or maybe try to connect the dots. But truthfully, if God doesn't reveal that to us, we don't know because there are things that no one can discover. Verse 12, I know there's nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It's also the gift of God whenever we eat or drink and enjoy our efforts. Isn't that a gift when you get to go to work and enjoy it? That's just a gift. That's not every day or else it would be called fun. That's why they call it work. You put your hand to it and you work. You do it. Some days when you're working at home with your children, it's a joy. And some days it's just a struggle. Some days when you go into the office or to your workplace, it's just a joy and everything falls into place. But that's not every day. And he says for us, that's a gift from God. Notice this in verse 14. I know that everything God does will last forever. There's no adding to it or taking from it. God works. If you don't have this verse underlined, I encourage you to. God works so that people will be in awe of him. How important are you? Truthfully. I don't mean like the standard answer of like, I'm just trying to be humble. How important are you, really? In your own mind. Could it be that all of these things have less to do with you and more to do with God and his working in our world so that we will be in awe of him. That he brings these seasons into our lives that may be comfortable, they may be joyous, they may be uncomfortable, they may be sad, and yet whatever he's doing is for his purposes. The seasons show off God's power. They show his ultimate power over creation. His ultimate ability to control events. I want you to listen to this quote from Dr. Leopold, writer who wrote commentary in the 1950s on the book of Ecclesiastes. Proper activity in the area of one's calling is highly commended elsewhere in the scriptures, right? You should be working. Whatever your hands find to do, let them do it to the glory of God, 100%. We believe that. So proper activity in the area of one's calling is highly commended elsewhere in the scriptures. But to try to be active and exercise control in the area where God is in control profits one nothing. To try to exercise activity and control in areas where God is in control profits you nothing. In fact, it's vanity. Emptiness. It'll drive you crazy. So what's our response today? Maybe that we would ask God to help us understand the seasons that he's bringing to us and to bring glory to him and honor to him in these seasons. To accept that he gives, that he takes away. To accept that there are hard things that come from the Lord and good things that come from the Lord. To accept that there are times where he speaks and times where he is quiet. And for us to think that we can shape events that God has planned is outside of our area of expertise and falls under his area of expertise. And we should understand that the seasons are given in our lives for us to be in awe of him.
Is that hard for you this morning? It's hard for me. On the one hand, it feels helpless, doesn't it? It, it kind of feels like, well, what can I do if I'm in a tough spot right now and I, I, I don't like it? What do I do about that? And there's, there's really not anything you can do except be faithful in it and recognize that God's using it. God's using it for his purposes. Sometimes God builds up, sometimes he tears down. And yet he does it for his purposes. Sometimes God gives us laughter and sometimes he gives us that joy. Sometimes he gives us weeping and mourning and all of those things are perfect in their season. And to accept that is to the glory of God. You see, that may seem fatalistic, but I actually think it's freeing. Fatalism would say, well, I just don't have any control over any of this, and so what's the point? We don't need to live that way. The way that we need to live is free. Lord, everything that comes from your hand is good and perfect in its time, and I accept it and ask for your wisdom to help me understand these days. God, help me to live as a witness for you during these days. Help me to live as a bright light for you, as a remnant maybe of the church universal in America for you during these days, Lord, as more and more people fall away. Lord, help me to know the seasons and the times and to accept them from your hand and to trust your care. And if I get to enjoy my work and eat and drink and the good life, good enough. Thank you, Lord. It's a blessing. I want us to close with this. I'm just going to read this for us real quickly. Psalm 31, verse 14. But I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. The course of my life is in your power. May it be for us today. Let's pray. Father, as we seek to understand the times in which we're living, we want to stop and just make some declarations from our heart this morning so that our hearts could be in tune with yours. Why don't at this moment you just thank God for being sovereign? that he is ruler over all. Thank him for being omnipotent, all powerful. Thank him for being omniscient, knowing everything. Could you this morning maybe just even open your hands to the Lord and just tell him again that you recognize this season is appropriate in its time. Perhaps that season for you right now is marked by mourning, weeping. Would you declare it to be appropriate in its time?
maybe you've been facing the uprooting of something in your life or the tearing down of something in your life, would you accept that this morning as appropriate in its time? some of us this morning are having to cross a threshold with you again to trust you we've trusted you in the past but it's been hard to trust you in whatever season we find ourselves in today but we declare you are good you're perfect in all your ways you're the sovereign ruler of everything and we pray Father, that you would use these seasons of our lives to show us your wonder and your glory and your power, that we would be in awe of you. Father, that you would work in such a way that our nation would be in awe of you. Father, we pray for our nation today. We're humbled today to realize that you've built this nation and it was by your own hand, Lord, and your providence by your power and you've caused us to live in it during this time and yet Father we recognize like we did last week that no nation lasts forever when it abandons you as their God Father in this season we ask for your mercy and we ask that you would do a work of birthing salvation in people's lives Maybe it's through difficult seasons ahead, Lord, or maybe it's through revival. We're praying that you would renew the hearts of your people, of the church, and that men and women would be drawn into relationship with you. Father, our minds are turned as well this week to the church universal, and we pray for believers around the world, asking God that you would do the same for them. Father, that in that season they could find hope and peace with you. God, strengthen your people today. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.